Saying low, Apple Music. Hey, this is Zane. If you're checking this series out for the first time, welcome. If you're coming back, we appreciate it. We have a really special conversation to share with you this time. Two musicians who I admire greatly, not just for the music that they've made and the fact that they've played a part in some of the most incredible and forward-thinking conscious albums through collaboration and also in their own right, but also because they helped to make up a tight-knit group of friends that for the most part either grew up in the same neighborhood or met each other very early on in life as teenagers and found a common ground as musicians, but also as good people. Good people who've come together to create another body of work that perfectly encapsulates the times that we're living in right now thematically, but musically gives us something to move to, subverting us as great music can do by putting the message and the movement inside music that moves. My latest conversation with Terrace Martin and Kamasi Washington was supposed to be primarily about this project called Dinner Party, which has just come out and you can stream it inside Apple Music. But such is the chemistry that these two have with each other and their ability to be able to tell the truth and tell stories in equal measure, it became really clear that once we started, we were just going to follow a thread for the better part of an hour. And that's exactly what we did. There was no agenda here. There was zero questions prepared. Just an album that I love and two individuals that I love to talk to. And what you're about to hear is a conversation that just moved in a very free space and covered a lot of ground. Therefore, you can understand why it's one of my favorites in recent memory. Terrace Martin and Kamasi Washington from Dinner Party, but also just from life, living, right now in conversation with me, Zane, in the Zane Lowe series. Terrace, Kamasi, great to see you. How do you feel about things? How's life? Terrace, starting with you, how are you, how are you finding things right now? It feels like a strange question because how do you answer a complex situation, but what's going on in the micro? Man, you can find beauty within every problem. You know, so for me, I'm very aware of what's going on with the environment, the mm. pandemic. You know, we got brothers still getting, still getting, you know, still getting with by the police. The the flip side to that is like every day I wake up, I got action right to get it right again. You feel me? So mm. if I fucked up yesterday, if if the creator allows me to wake up, I could probably get the right or do something to type of move move our forward. So for me, man, I actually feel good. My feelings are hurt. I have anger in me. But I feel good knowing that we are going to make a dent in our world and just do what we're supposed to do as artists, reflect the times and, and, and give the world a big hug right now. You feel me? Wow, you know, someone, I'm going to quote the person directly because I thought it was great. I had a really interesting conversation with Will I Am the other day, and he said something that I'd never heard before, which I really love. I said, how do you feel about where you're getting your information from right now? And he said, I'm getting my information from music because the artist is really the only voice right now that can't be manipulated, distorted, can't be trolled, can't be spammed through social media, can't have their words twisted by news outlets, can't have their words distorted by conversation, by their neighbors, by racists, by bigots. The artists can, can choose a pure place, a pure forum to express themselves. And if they choose to find a way to release that with little or no disruption at all. Kamasi, does that ring true to you? Yeah, we all are people in the world, and so we all are good with the same kind of struggles. Artists are not like superheroes; we're just we people, and we we do have a unique position in that music, in particular, has a way of kind of cutting through all the BS, you know, the misinformation, the the ignorance. It can cut through a lot of that, and so we have a, we have an ability to kind of reach people straight forward. You know, it's like because once you got someone's heart, it's, it's easy to get their mind. You know, 
You know, I have this, this way of looking at it when it comes to the way artists relate to the times and the kind of music that reflects the mood of the world, the community, the culture, year by year, minute by minute. And that is that I, I, I never expect an artist to show up, but I respect it when they do. Because I think expectation on the shoulders of the artist is dangerous because it comes from such a personal, honest place. You can't expect artists to do heavy lifting. They've got enough work to do just to express themselves. And I wonder whether sometimes, Terrace, you feel that because you have a history of creating music that reflects the moment as uncomfortable and challenging as that may be, or triumphant as that may be, but whether or not sometimes you feel as an artist, that is a heavy burden because it weighs so deep on you, but how do you translate that? Man, I, Zane, I can't speak for nobody else right now, bro, when I when I bought the gig this game, but for me, it's like, uh, like Masi said, artists, artists aren't superheroes, you know what I'm saying? So I, I don't really expect much out of, out of an artist, but... I feel, and you know, and this is really how I honestly feel, I feel black artists in particular have a certain level of responsibility to speak back to our people. I feel we have a responsibility to speak back. I feel it's different ways of doing that. I also feel it comes to a certain age with any artist, but very specifically a black artist where you now you gain, if, if you're successful, you gain a success and you still know what's going on. I believe you have a certain level of responsibility. And those are the artists that I grew up wanting to be like, the ones that took on the accountability and responsibility of being a black artist. Because it's still, because being a black artist, people say art is one thing, but being a black man is different. So it can't it can't be one thing, you know? So it's like we, even in the art world, which is not, for me and Kamasi, for a fact, is not separate. See, we... And I, I want to track back on one thing. We still in the, we still in the streets. We still like, like I'm not getting my information from music. I'm getting my information from people that's living this. Shit. I'm getting information from people that's dying from COVID. My personal friends are like my mother that beat COVID, or like my friends that just got killed by the police. I'm getting the information from phone calls and me visiting my friend Kamasi, going by my mama house, hitting the hood, pulling up, going to Lamert, and seeing the police trip. So we. In Los Angeles, South Central Los Angeles, Inglewood, we're not getting our information from, from music, which is fortunate if you can. Unfortunately, I have to get it from the real shit. That's number one. But number two, the responsibility is this. We have so many kids in, in America, black, white, everything, every color, everybody, so many children. The children are the set of the next future. So who... You have to be careful about what you put out because your children are going to be growing up in the society that you help raise. Yeah. So you have kids, and I have five children, then you are conscious. Of, I'm very conscious of, of, of the world. So my thing is like, I took on this oath to be an artist, a black artist, and I'm going to ride it to the highest level, which is anything. I'm putting my people in front, on the back, and I just want to ride it through and try to break through with allies. We have strong allies in other cultures, and I'm aware of that. With allies. But I, it is a responsibility, and I feel strongly about that. And I feel people, I know we have a lot to think about. We have our own things to think about. But guess what? Your own things. If you're an artist, when you sign up to be an artist, bro, you know, when you could get the money, when you could talk to Zane, when you could do all these interviews, you got a responsibility. That's why I asked the question. I'm so glad you answered it the way you did. Kamasi, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I would say that exactly. Terrence is exactly dead on. But one thing I would add to is that we all got a responsibility. You know, what the artist really does is he brings people together. In the end, 
people are going to make this world, like Terrence is saying, the kids, people are going to make this world what it is. And so in the end, an artist is just one human being. And yeah, we have a responsibility because we, we are like the telephone. We connect people. And so like, even though we all should be doing something, everybody don't have a voice that can reach to millions of people. We do. We have the voice. And then the next step, I feel like, is always going to be everyone doing what they're supposed to do. Everyone. Everyone. Not just listen to the song on, oh, that's cool. So now you, you implement it into whatever you do. You know what I'm saying? If you're, if you're an architect, if you're, if you're a businessman, doing what you, doing what you can do and what you do to make the world a better place. And I think that like the real, the real message there is that like artists benefit from the masses. And so we have, we have a, a, a responsibility to, to use that to inspire the masses to then make the world what it, what it, what it's going to be. And it's not about talking about it, it's about doing it. You know, and, and the reality is, is that what we can do more than anyone else is get people on, on, on one page, you know, because music can bring people together that, that never thought they would be together. I mean, the reality is, I mean, you look at like someone like Snoop in the height of the Crips and the Bloods, it was Crips and Bloods singing his songs. <laughs> at I, the I, you know what I mean? And it's like, man, how do you do that? Music. Music can bring any people together. People make the world what it is. The laws have been changed many times and that we're still in the same place. It's not going to change until we change the people. And in particular, Terrence hit around the nose, is getting that message to the children. And, and the fact of the matter is, and I, 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 you know, you know, I hate to always bring this dude up, but like, if you watch that, 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 that 4th of July speech, you know, Trump talked about that on the other side. They trying to indoctrinate our children. Like, yeah, we are. We trying to tell your children that racism is wrong. And we have to do that because that's how it survives, survives from one generation to the next. What's interesting as well as also being a parent and recognizing that the institutions which we, for some reason, for the longest time have decided to trust to speak for us and make decisions for us and like they have all of our best interests at heart, even though they systematically fail time and time again to prove that that, that is the case, that those institutions are, are now, they are not an area or an environment or a future that children even want to move into. That those institutions that ultimately make change, they, the children are, that young people have lost faith in that system, that they're like, I don't even want to go there. And so what you're looking at is you're going to look at solutions on the fringe that become the new institutions. That is the hope. Or you're going to have to get inside there and make fundamental change from inside out because even if you got good people in power, it is a, it is a Band-Aid because the institution itself, kids do not give a about the institutions that we look to to make decisions. Yeah, because they weren't designed. To, they weren't designed to do that. That's a big. That's a big difference in what we got right now is that people kind of recognize that and they're recognizing that re reality that we have not just change the system. We got to swap the system out. We got to mm -hmm. take the old system out and bring a new system in that is designed. That's 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 mission is equality, not domination, but equality. One of the many reasons why I love this dinner party project that you brought together because. Like I love movies and I love the way directors create things. And I also love the way they subvert and they use music in different environments to go seemingly in contrast. 
Scorsese's a genius at it. Spike Lee's a genius at it. Uh, the way that he weaved jazz music into moments of real disruption and anger. The way he would have instrumentals playing that would seemingly be the kind of thing you'd put on for a walk in the park, but it's there's riots going on in the background. And for me, and for me, it feels like that's kind of what this dinner party project is. Is it's got so much groove and so much lightness to it in terms of the music and a freedom of of the way you made it. But I feel like it's the soundtrack to this march that's going on, and it's gonna get uglier. It's going to get so much uglier in, in 120 days time. And I feel like it's almost like this, this is a soundtrack. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. 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 It's that thing where I, it's like, unfortunately, this topic is never old. Unfortunately. You know, somebody asked, you know, you know, when did you guys make the record? Yeah. I know. I like the timeline here. Yeah. We, you know, we didn't really, we didn't make the record now. We made the record a few months ago, but. And we were born into that. <laughs> We could have made that record when I was five years old. And that's what Killer Mike said about the Run the Jewels album. And in particular, you know, in that one particular song where his verse almost uncomfortably paints that picture that we've seen in the news time and time again and most recently. And he wrote that last year. And that is the thing. Like, it's sad and frustrating that we're still here. And yet music continues to just chip away. That's one of the things that I think the, the children do trust. Where they don't trust yeah. the institutions, they do trust the artists. That's why I asked the question. It's a, it's a heavy burden, but beautifully answered. My son, man, oh man, I never thought he's 13. I never thought I would have to explain this weird shit. But he said, Dad, why? He just kept his, his knee on the man's neck. He just he just stayed there. Why'd he do that? Yeah, how do you explain that? Why? You know, you can't for the first time, bro. And I always protect my babies. You know, but I finally had to break it down and just explain to him, man. And I, I got him reading books now. But you know what he said to me? He said, man, Dad... He said, man, I was listening to this song by Juice World. He was talking about, I said, who? He said, Juice World. And I just listened to him because I remember all these kids was crying so heavy. That, I mean, it's a lot going on. With, you know, it's, it's a lot of younger artists dying too, but. Juice World was heavy. When Juice World passed away, that. That was heavy. That resonated very deeply within a younger generation of music fan. No question oh, about it. I learned through this and it made me dig deep in the Juice World because I wanted to see what. What was this young man possessing? The power, love. It was so yeah. much love, but like you said, Zane, these kids, the artists are the presidents. The artists are the artists. But that goes back to what I'm saying, man. We have a responsibility because the kids look at the artists like that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? When we was young, Zane, when we was young growing up, man, I, I didn't, you know, like I remember, I remember, I remember my first mission that I didn't complete because I was too scared. But the first thing you play in the car when we was going on the mission, young, was just you drinking and you playing the darkest shit just to turn them wheels. And those wheels could turn because music is so powerful. It could do just as great, but it could do just as damaging as well. Yeah, yeah you're right. Because it, it can destroy as much as it creates. But we have the, but, but like you said, Kamasi and Zane, we, even this conversation dealing with artists and bro. We have so much power as human beings. The person at the bus stop possesses so much power, but the world has led them to think they don't possess anything, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about a bus driver. As a kid, you ride that bus every day. You see him every day. Oh, my gosh. You're exposed to that. That is a role model job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, you just think about, like, the struggles. People, like, right now, I mean, you see it, like, you know, this whole COVID thing is kind of shown. It's like right now, you know, people are struggling in all aspects of life. You may have been off work now for three months and your plumbing is broke. 
Like how, how powerful of a statement is it if somebody comes up, hey man, you know, I know what you're struggling right now as a plumber. I've been working these three months. I'll come fix your plumbing. You know what I mean? Just people caring about each other. Like that's where I say that like the, the real reality of this world, the artists can shine the light. We can shine the light on it. But it takes the whole world to pick it up and move it. So we, we, we got to do our part. Everybody has to do their part. That the most divisive sides of the argument are being drawn together. That's a very, very visceral, very acidic, a lot of atoms, a lot of shit. Yeah. A lot of things yeah. going on there, but it's coming together. And then on a more sort of peaceful community level, we're seeing us being drawn together to help one another. The good nature that we know if we were raised right and we have good spirit, but we get distracted on the micro. I got to keep my family good. I got to keep moving. I got my ambition is important, right? Yeah. yeah. I've worked really hard and I'm so close to what? To the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And that's what you're raised to think is the whole purpose. And you take a step back and you have what I think is self, more self-awareness to create greater awareness. That really is the only equation I can nail it down to. Yeah. That's cold. That's cold, Zang. That's right. That's real. You know, because we don't have enough self-awareness when we're chasing it the whole time. The whole life you're climbing, your whole life. You, you're not even looking at your life. You're just climbing. Yeah. And then you die. Then you realize it's a treadmill. You wouldn't go nowhere anyway. Exactly. And you don't realize that until you're on your deathbed and someone tells you that. You're like, holy sh! If you told me that 60 years ago, I'm on my deathbed. Until this year, I'd have been on my deathbed in 99 and a half. I'd have done the full man, Brad- come on, I'd have man. done the full Bradman. And I'd have been lying there. It's a cricket reference for all my Australian listeners, by the way. But I'd have been lying on my yeah, deathbed. And someone would have said, Kamasi, we'll be close enough by then. You'll be next to me and you'll be gently holding my hand. And you'll say, Zane, you're on a treadmill. You never got anywhere anyway. And I'd have said, Kamasi, if you told me, 60 years ago, I still wouldn't have believed you. <laughs> I still would have kept going until this year. And now I actually, I'm listening to what you're saying. Okay, let's get into this album a bit because it deserves it. This body of music deserves a little bit of a little bit of micro focus on this music because hearing you all come together for fans of you all individually and collaboratively in different forms, but it feels different this time. I don't know why, it just feels different. And I think having, having Wonder in there as well and bringing that just that unique program approach that he has the way he makes things snap you know he really is a he, he's a kid of to me he's a kid of dilla oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah so, to me man when we were just even i remember man like me and kamasi would be in the studio and everything ninth wonder was sending us for this project it was everything he sent us was everything we did <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no off cuts yeah let's put it on my nice tracks <laughs> That was the go-to. So it's Wonder's fault. There's only seven songs on the project because he only sent you seven beats. Is that what you said? Oh, man. Well, I kind of like that he did that, though. I kind of like that he kept it super reduced because every one of them is, is incredible. And it must be really nice. Is that kind of, I mean, I know you guys are friends, have been friends, and you always want to keep it in the family if you can. But you've also got to think about the way it's going to fit into your artistic identity and vision. And sometimes friends just don't fit the mood. Is part of the reason why you wanted to go with him because of that swing, because you knew he would give you the space to improvise? It's that kind of spirit. I think it was already in there. You know, I mean, like, like I think we've all been blessed to, to have grown up with our kindred spirits. Like, that's that's a rarity. You know what I mean? To, like, to meet your kindred spirits when, you, when you're 12, 13 years old and just have them your whole life. But I always understand that there's, there's thousands of them out there in the world. You know, and life is definitely one of them. And it's funny, like, right, right before Terrace told me about the project, that day, I just went to my bands to listen to the Knife Wonders records. So that day, I was like, man, this dude is, is, is crazy. 
And I was like, it was like, it felt like, wow, look how the universe works. Look how the universe works. And look, you've seen that on, on, on all different sides. If you've lived a, a, a full life and continue to strive to, you will see the universe in all of its guidance for the good and the bad. And I wonder whether or not, as, as you've kind of moved through music, how, how you try to focus on the good in order to avoid the bad. And do you feel it's something that you can manipulate or do you give in to it? I don't separate it no more. I take it all in. I control certain things better, but I don't. You got to have good to have bad. You got to have bad to have good. It's kind of like it's tricky. You know, I think it's about just like we all, we all have a light side. We all have a dark side. You feel me? And to me, it's about just managing what is what. Yeah, I, I think it's important to take everything in. And hopefully you've built these mechanisms and filters in your body where you know what's good and what's not. But you should take, I, we, I think we... T- taking everything in, man, and, de- and deciphering what spiritually what we wanted and just p- putting it back out. Yeah, I mean, because reality is, like, like Tara said, you, you have a dark side. Yeah. If you think you don't, all that means is that you're ignoring it. That means you're really dark as Yeah, and also, by the way, guess what happens when that one wakes up? <laughs> Holy shit. <Yeah. laughs> well, so my, my thing has always been, like, like, the best way to find your light is to recognize your dark. Mm. You know, and that, that balance... That balance is, is is very important, you know? It's like when you want to see your Christmas lights on your tree, you turn the lights off in the room. And, you know what I mean? You, you get the dark to see the lights, you know? And so, and also, like, it's going to, like Tara said, embrace it almost. Like, understand, like, this is something that I struggle with. This, this is, this, these are my problems. These these are what bring, now, to, cause to me, there's a difference between darkness and evil. You know, so I try to avoid, evil is the action that darkness can lead you to. That's when you start calling it evil. Darkness are the feel is the feelings that you have within you, you know? And so for me, being very conscious of your darkness, this is this is important as searching for your light. You know, because when you when you become when your darkness can get to the place where, where you're no longer conscious of it, that's when you start acting on it. And that's when you start becoming evil. You start doing yeah. evil things. You know, and so like to me, like when I find a person that that feels like they're very void of evil, it's not because they're they're void of darkness. It's because they're very mm-hmm. conscious of their darkness. That's the micro. If you take it to the macro, there's darkness in this world, and we all have to. It's like that's where like knowing history and knowing and knowing what's happened in the past, seeing the darkness, so that you can find the light. You know, you in the cave. We gonna go left. We gonna go right. Well, if you knew that we already went right and it was dark over there, <laughs> you left. But if you, if you want to hide, you want to hide where you've been and what you've done, then you may not know that. And so you end up just going in the same. That's why you look at history and it keeps repeating itself, repeating itself. And the same dark evils that happened 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, 400 years ago, 500 years ago, they repeat themselves because we, we don't. We don't examine our own darkness, so we end up falling to our own to the same evil. That was beautiful. Thank you. Speaking of examining your own darkness, I don't know how much you listen to your music. It's funny, I've asked that question to so many musicians. It's probably my most asked question because I find it fascinating to know what the percentage is in the trade. And a majority of musicians are like, when I'm done with it, I'm done with it, I move on. But some musicians are beautifully open about it. If you do go back and listen to your music, do you recognize the pain in it sometimes? Do you recognize that you were in a painful place? Do you recognize a different self when you're listening back to your music because you were able to capture who you were in that moment? Absolutely. 
Yeah, it's like seeing a different person for me sometimes, depending on how far back that go. Yeah. You know, you listen to yourself from 10 years ago and you go like, oh, snap, I remember being in that place. You know, I remember being, I remember having mm-hmm. those thoughts, having those feelings. I remember where that came from. You know, yeah, I can tell when it's light liquor or dark liquor. Because <laughs> <laughs> dinner party, we were on, was it tequila? Yeah. That's why it sounds so floaty. You guys are just group hugging each other all fucking night because you're on tequila and weed. That's tequila and weed and good food and good <laughs> food, man. And you know what's funny? No ego. Mm-hmm. No ego. <laughs> No ego, no ego. The biggest ego was the art saying that no ego, man. Like, oh, it felt so, it felt so strange. Everyone was looking the past the time so much. Yeah. It was like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you do? You know what I mean? And it was just like, everyone was, was, was trying to leave space. Could you have done this five years ago in terms of the, the measure between ego and egolessness could you have gone in the room and had such a good time five years ago or has it been a product of growth this crew always egoless wow yeah since since 14 years old bro we never because we grew that's what i'm saying like we grew up knowing music was a gift and we didn't have to receive it we grow up no we we grew up just loving each other like laughing and just being cool and like nobody we grew up not trying to compete like Basketball and football, you compete in sports. Exactly. If you really trying to hold a baton, and and I'm not gonna lie, when I'm 15, I don't know about trying to hit, trying to do my part with with the world. But we have very powerful fathers. We have very powerful fathers that were very conscious in the sense, and all conscious means you know what the fuck is going on right now. It ain't deep, but they always. We had good upbringing, man. All of us had good upbringing with parents that said, let your other friends play with your toys. So what? He broke your toy. He don't. So what? We'll get you another one. Just give it away. Invite your mom. I don't want to invite. And I'm, I'm the only child. Zane, so my skin is real. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know a few mom, of I you. Want... I know a few only yeah. children as well. You're complex I, people. I, I, six brothers, <laughs> so I went out come from a whole other perspective. It, was like, it wasn't no yours. Yeah. So, so, but <laughs> it wasn't no your toy. Yeah. The toy. <laughs> I, I see my mom. <laughs> but my mom has 16 brothers and sisters. So I was raised around cousins that I thought were, so I was raised like sharing and loving because my mama taught me young, when you give, that's how you live. You got to give to live. That's the payment for life is giving. If you do not give, you'll live a very horrible shadow life. And some of these viewers know what I'm talking about. You have to give, even if it's your last. And you have to trust your synergy and you have to trust you that you'll be okay. And I, I know we all had that young because we we just, we all, me, me and Kamasi since 14, me and Robert since 16, 17, and I met Knife when I was like 23. So these are all long relationships that we have all been on this one mission, separate places. I'm, I'm, I mean, me and Kamasi have been the closest because we live in the same neighborhoods together for years and we went to the same schools and studied together, but we all had this Kendrick thing, separate places. Ninth is from North Carolina. Robert Glass was from Houston and lived in New York. Separate places, but it's weird because every time I talk to each one of them, 
it felt like I never got off the phone with the previous one. <laughs> yeah. Like I would, I would start a middle of a conversation and they, everybody and vice versa. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like, we, I feel like the creator assembled an army. Yeah. We didn't have a choice but to be in this army. And I feel like even now, I, I feel like even now, man, like even going back to what's going on, when I see people protest, I'm seeing so many white people protest and everybody else. I said, oh, I called my mom. I said, the creator is assembling the army. Yeah. He's assembling the, not just us, he's assembling the army, the army of love. Like, you, it's so many hurt people behind what's going on, Zane. Australia, Europe, Watts, New York. This is the first time in my life I've seen the world affected. I've never seen the fucking world affected. I see hate, but I see more love, man. As Kamasi said, you have to identify with and go to the darkness in order to appreciate the light. And the world has been in a dark place now for a long time, and it's reached its tipping point in the last four years, where it's like, no, this is not the world that I want my children to inherit. So if I'm, even if I was lost, even if I'd gone too far down the road in my own narcissism, which is not the case, facts, (laughs) for the record, but even if I had... As a parent, I got nowhere to hide anymore. And that's what you're seeing. You're seeing people who could justify their own existence, but now they've got to realize that there is no own existence. It doesn't work that way. You can't do it. And it's that understanding, just like people are both physical and spiritual beings, the world is both a physical and a spiritual place. And I think that like as music as, a, as an art form has both a physical and a spiritual side to it. And so... The spiritual side to it doesn't care about the money. It doesn't care about how many fans you have. It doesn't care about... Me and Terrace used to go on tour with Snoop and play for 60,000 people and be hyped to right after that, go to a jam session where there's eight people in there and play for four hours as hard as we could. We would take our own money, get in a taxi cab, drive 30 minutes to go do that. That was not for any type of physical or like social game. That was for a spiritual game because we just wanted to keep music in our hearts. And so music has always, we always, I mean, I feel like, and I feel like most of the artists that I really love always understand those two factors. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's like, it also comes into like, even like the playing, it's like there's the practicing and then there's the thinking about music. When you understand those two things and, 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 and it's like, can't only think about one or only think about the other. You can't ignore your body and only, you know what I mean? Or you'll die. Yeah. <laughs> you can't ignore your spirit or you'll die in a different way. You know what? Because you because you mentioned him, and because I'm you know such a fan of 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 him, not just as a musician, and not just as a hold as up, a, man, hold up. This 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 weed so motherfucking good. I'm crying. Hold on. <laughs> God damn! I gotta call Steve back. That's that's my guy. Shout out to Steve. My shout father. out to Steve because you mentioned him because he's such a beautiful human being, and because he's also he also has the good weed. I want to get a Snoop story. So it's not often I get I get two human beings right now who are going to tell me the truth. I want a really great Snoop story. Just a really great Snoop story. Not one that's going to get you gassed or blown up on the phone later on or anything. Just a good, feel good, amazing Snoop story. 
You know, we spent a lot of time with Snoop, so <laughs> some of the stories. Damn, we kind of got to make up a story. <laughs> Hey, no, okay, no, 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 no. I got one. All right. We was in the studio one time. I, I was working with Wiz Khalifa. We was also in the other room doing the Quincy Jones record, Kamasi, with uh, yeah. uh, Get the Funk Out of Your Face. Yeah, yeah. That was Quincy's last album, too, he put yeah, out. But, yeah. but then Wiz Khalifa, uh, Tick, A&R Warner Brothers, took me up with Wiz Khalifa. He was new. He wanted to come to L.A. He came to L.A. We did a gang of music. And then he said, yo, my dream is to meet Snoop Dogg. So I was like, oh, okay, that's easy. Because like, he's in the front. You know what I'm saying? So he said, I want to smoke with Snoop. I said, well, you better be careful now with the dog. Now, Wiz is, Wiz is a pro now. Yeah. Wiz is a pro. Wiz is a poster child. Wiz is the guy you go down the local flea market and you go through those old poster racks and you're looking and the category is weed. It goes Bob Marley, Snoop Dogg, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa. He's in there. Period. Wiz Lil Bro is the man with easy, but at this time, he wasn't. And Snoop, Snoop, I said, man, he want to smoke with you, Snoop. You know, Snoop said, is that right, nephew? <laughs> Snoop got the rolling. <laughs> that motherfucker, Snoop passed that motherfucker back and forth. All of a sudden, you kept seeing Snoop kept rolling. Every time he passed, Snoop rolled, right? All of a sudden, you just see Wiz stuck. <laughs> <laughs> God. Hey, Wiz like he had the flu that day. <laughs> now, now, hey, now Wiz is like, he's, he's out smoking everybody. But then, hey, man, it was, but you know what? It was beautiful, man. It was beautiful. Yeah, because he got wrong footed by Jordan. He got wrong footed by Jordan his rookie year. Why not? Why not? You know, why not? <laughs> why not? I asked Willie Nelson the other day. I said, Willie, are you the only person who can keep Snoop Dogg on his toes when it comes to smoking weed? And he went, probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, wait, bro. We got to put in Be Real. We got to put in Be Real with this list. Oh, for sure. Oh, my God. That guy. Jeez. But, but the thing about Be Real, which is mad, is I've had, like, serious conversations with Be Real. Just, like, absolutely. Like, we were literally going through, like, we were discussing, like, the finer points of socioeconomic policy in the Far Eastern region. Yeah. And he's just been smoking nonstop for eight hours. Like, it's like it makes him smarter. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this, bro. Look, this is... Hey, Kamasi can't say no stories about Snoop. Everything to... <laughs> is this true? Is this true? We were different. Hey, we were different people then. <laughs> when you've been with Snoop the past, like I mean, we talk, man. Snoop raised us, man. Yeah. Snoop, Snoop raised us. Snoop taught us. First of all, Snoop showed us that you could really, if you stay on your path or whatever you do, it's really beneficial. Even when you go through the challenges, if you just stay focused. Yeah. The whole lesson with Snoop was focus. Yeah. Like that. I got a story with that, that focus right there. Like, I'm okay. I remember we, backstage, Snoop was always a party. It was a party. We was all part of it. We was all back <laughs> there party. And so I remember this one, was one show we had. We had a set intro already for, for the show. Oh. And so he just had Rick James busting out on loop. Just in the, in the, in the midst of the party. Everybody, everybody's chilling. Nobody said, listen to this song, we might play it. It's just on loop. 
It's about 50 to 100 people backstage, though, Zay. Yeah. It's like 50 to 100 people. Right. But Snoop wanted you to always be on point. He wants you to always be. So we should have, from his perspective, the lesson I learned from that is that never not be aware of what's going on. So what he expected from us was for us to be aware of the fact that this song is now played about four or five times in a row. And, and it was never a loop like that. It was always a playlist of a bunch of songs. So we walk out on stage in front of about 60,000, 70,000 people. And the beginning of that song, Rich James, Rich James starts that song off by going, well, all right, two squares. So we already had our own intro that we was waiting for. Where he Wait, hold on, let me, let me commercial. And before we start, we had, when you walk out, Snoop had a movie at the time that would come up, a movie. And the movie would play, and then he would start the show. Okay, so keep on, keep on. So we get to the space where Snoop is supposed to say one line, and instead of saying that line, what he says to us, well, he says to the artist, he don't even look at us. He says, well, all right, you squares. And we all kind of looked at each other like, and look, does that mean we supposed to play busting? Wow. And then he turned around. We didn't talk about what key was playing it in. We didn't go over no horn lines. Nobody went over the bass line or the chords or nothing. He turned around and looked at us and said, well, all right, you square. Wow. And the trombone player came in. Baba do bee, baba do bee. Wow. And you were in the pocket. In the pocket oh in front of 70,000 people. Fearless. 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 Snoop taught us that. That is my favorite. That is a, the Wiz Khalifa story is a, that's a fucking plus. That is our, that's a plus. Wow. I can't that's believe a, I that. About that, one. that is, <laughs> that is so incredible. You know, that's cause he knew you could. That's why. Cause he knew you could. Yeah. And he probably recognized that there was something in you that needed to be challenged at that moment. Like, man, I've got the best young musicians on the planet in my band. What am I doing here? Hey Zane, cause we was young and we was misfits, man. <laughs> we was young we was up, man I'm talking about Miss Lobby calls I'm I'm talking about yeah <laughs> taking taxis from hey. straight lines hey, Snoop, <laughs> Snoop was so forgiving we was cups, man but you know what nothing never affected the bandstand though Nothing, never. We, we, we showed up on that man's music and we played that King's music to the best of our ability. And we just wanted to make sure Snoop Dogg shined. And we, we was, we was happy making him happy. He would come in the back, have his hair all out. He would treat everything like basketball. Hot, hot, five. Y'all killed that shit, nephew. Y'all killed that shit. And you would get, you would just get so excited because some nights, you probably wouldn't get the high five. <laughs> you get the, you better step your game up. Wow. <laughs> hey, step your game up, nephew. <laughs> well, he's the big boss, new dog, man. That's what it is. Yeah. Nobody's like the dog, bro. You know it's even deep. Go, I mean, you Kamasi. I was in his band. Thundercat was in his band. Oh, yeah. Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg to me is like my Miles Davis, my Billy Eckstein. Because Miles birthed leaders. Yeah, that's right. You know, Wayne Shorter, Herbie Hancock, Ron Carter, Tony Williams, Cannonball Adderley, John Coltrane, Jesus, uh, Wynn Kelly. He birthed leaders. Yeah. Yeah. When you f with Miles, yeah. Yeah. you have the period. Miles was so cracking, bro. Miles was Charlie Parker's little homie, bro. Right? Charlie Parker has so much respect for Miles. 
Charlie Parker recorded on Miles' album when he was a kid. Yeah. Charlie Parker is the best in the world. He wrote yeah. a language. He saw he saw Miles great in the just like Doctor, just like Warren G saw Snoop. If Warren G didn't go in that trash can when Snoop was giving up rapping and threw that rap away, and Warren G got that and read that rap and called Dr. Dre to hear Snoop Dogg, bro, the West Coast music scene would be nothing. Warren G and Snoop Dogg, bro, and not only that, the death row scene, when it when it was around, everybody talked about all the negative shit, but I was around. I was around, Zane. And for every musician, every musician on the West Coast was buying houses off of the sessions they was getting from death row, from dads hired from shit-paying people. You know, it was so much great shit done with the death row movement to all the musicians and everything, but we are products yeah. of that. We're, yeah. we're literally products of death row, bro. Snoop is a Kendrick. He feel the same way. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I... I had to, we, we never tell, we never dig in, nobody never asked us about Snoop, and we never dig into how pivotal and important Snoop Dogg is to what is today, from us to Kendrick to YG. You name anybody off the West Coast, and you know, he, he talks about, when you have a problem in LA, you go talk to Snoop. Snoop taught me how to be a better father. Snoop taught me about how to buy things and things add up how to be aware, how to respect everybody, how to never underestimate anybody, how to love all. And you only got to go to some other sh just to protect you and your family. Be willing to go to the other sh but only to protect you and your babies. Snoop taught me and so many other black men how to be men. He is very important to culture, but to this musicianship. Without him, none of us would have seen the world that early, bro. And none of us damn sure wouldn't be getting that money that early because he was paying us. We was dressing fresh. He treated us well. We was taking solos yeah. on Snoop Dogg tours. <laughs> People don't realize, like, when the L.A. jazz scene wasn't, wasn't no, when nobody around the rest of the world cared about that scene, that 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 package of musicians that was all around the and that was, that was making music right there, Snoop did. His whole band was full of us. Mar Marlon Williams, which is the original member of Fishbone. Yeah. He cared about musicians. And he and, and before it was like in style. You know, when nobody else had a band, we, we were going towards he would be the only person with a live band. That's right. As a rap fan and just loving that aesthetic of a DJ and rappers and loving the energy and the freedom of being able to move and also hearing the way the records were mixed and mastered and hearing the 808s and all those things coming out, that's that's all I kind of felt I wanted to hear. And it wasn't until I saw Snoop Dogg and then saw Cypress Hill coming out and then saw others coming out with live bands inspired by Snoop, I recognized that how powerful that can be. But up until then, it was just Stetsasonic and The Roots. That's all I kind of knew about it in terms of live musicianship. Snoop had real gangsters that played instruments, though, bro. Yeah. <laughs> no, like... Yeah. From the and, 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 and what I mean by gangsters, I mean a man that just stood up for what the f*** they believed in. It wasn't no, it wasn't no industry sh This was a real family, bro. We, yeah. we, we used to get into altercations. And, you know, I just remember so much, sh like, personal sh with Snoop. I mean, like, he's... Damn, he's just the closest thing to what... What is spelling that myth of, like, have you a brilliant musician growing up in a certain neighborhood that, that you're an exception, not not the rule, you know? So you look at, like, the Snoop Camp, and then we all came from that same neighborhood. That kind of dispels that little myth. Yep. Yeah. We all grew up over there. 
No, it's hallowed now. It's legendary now. People talk about you coming from this environment, from this community and from this space with such reverence. What you're telling is stories that remind us that it was scrappy and disruptive and and hard living. And now people talk about it like it's some kind of like community on the top of a hill that just breeds fucking incredible musicianship. And it's like, nope, that's well, not what it was. Hey, Kamasi, hey, <laughs> hey, tell tell Zane a puffy story. <laughs> tell Zane a puffy story. story. <laughs> now that's two in jokes in one interview, which is a no-no in my book. Okay. You get away with one, but I have a rule. Two in jokes and we're done. <laughs> it's either that or you do we or we finally meet phones off and then you make good on the puffy story. I know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm ready for it. I'm positive, which is strange. You know, because it's it's a melancholic time, it's a frustrating time, it's an awkward time, it's an angry time, and yet I'm really trying to stay positive that at some point we're going to turn a corner and a lot of things are going to be on the right path. And it doesn't mean it's going to be fixed. Nothing's going to ever be fixed, by the way. It's the journey, not the result. There is no end. It doesn't work that way. It's a constant process. And the sooner we teach our children that, the better they're going to be and prepare for the future. But that being said, I feel, I feel that we will come out of this space, which is a washing machine of f***ing turmoil and pandemics and melancholy and depression and mental health and i feel good about it i don't know why i just do yeah yeah the, the world's a garden and this year is gonna be a good harvest when we can regroup and when we can celebrate and when we can share in things again will you celebrate with us live will you will you bring this to life do you you do it anyway but will you do it under this banner hell yeah oh yeah yeah for sure for sure hey man we love with you. You know that, man. Hmm. <laughs> I love you guys, man. I appreciate your music so much. I appreciate you as human beings and your growth. And I love the fact that you're so honest and upfront about your growth. And it's inspiring to be a part of sporadically in these kind of situations. So next time, let's make sure we set aside a couple of hours and dive even deeper. Yeah. Peace. Peace. Kamasi, don't ever call me again. I, I hate you. <laughs> uh, Terrace, we're still on. Terrace, we're still recording. Just FYI. <laughs> A real conversation with real people. You know, the darkness and the light, the spirituality and music and the reality of what's going on outside our windows right now, perfectly encapsulated by Terrace Mann and Kamasi Washington. Go and stream the Dinner Party Project right now that also features Robert Glasper and Ninth Wonder. Let's not forget about vocalist Felix as well. That project, seven songs, perfect. Of course, up on Apple Music, alongside incredible music and collaborations from each of these artists. There's a lot to dive into. And there's a lot more coming right here on the Zane Lowe series. So, you know, just do yourself a favor, click subscribe, and you don't have to worry about it anymore. Just show up without you even asking, but never uninvited. Take care.